Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Welcome to the 267th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Jesse Thomas. Thanks, Jesse. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today, it's Matt and Oren one-on-one. We're talking about all sorts of stuff, how to stay excited and creative and engaged as we kind of emerge from this COVID coma that we've all been in, and also how to drum up a little bit of work. It's a classic Matt and Oren episode. I can't wait to dig into it. Yeah, we're also going to talk about kind of experience as a director and what kind of stuff, non-directing experience in your past, how that affects getting jobs, directing jobs, something that I've always thought of, and we don't talk about that much. So we will talk about that. But before we get into all these topics, I would love to know, Matt, what have you been working on lately? Yeah, buddy. So I, uh, listeners will remember that I've been excited about a new feature that I'm getting going. And uh, it's been really fun to send things out. I'm getting people to like, I'm testing the water on a few things a bunch of people are reading. And as we all know, it takes people forever to read a screenplay. And so in the meantime, just to kind of keep things going and to have like a little bit more in the arsenal, so to speak, I talked to our good old pal, Matt Pollock, who, uh, you know, brought up like, hey, man, cut a sizzle, cut a cut a ripomatic. And I'd been resistant to it for kind of a while, but uh, I went for it. And it had been a minute since I had cut anything on my own. Kind of a long while, actually. I mean, you cut stuff for for the podcast. Kind of sure. Easily. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But like, I think cutting purely audio, I think is different than cutting something that kind of needs a bit more of a narrative to it. And so, you know, for listeners who aren't familiar, Ripomatic or a Sizzle trailer is just kind of, I'm I'm scouring the internet, I'm downloading a bazillion different pieces of footage. It's stock photography, it's stuff from other movies, It you know, sometimes people will do a little bit of storyboards, all that stuff. Then you kind of cut that together into something that's going to look and feel as close as possible to the movie that you're trying to present to the world and kind of maybe clarify the tone and the style and the, the the point of view and even kind of like I was careful to grab movies that felt like comparisons that were apt rather than totally repurposing movies where people would be like, wait a minute, you know, 
this movie, you know, you, you pulled some porkies. Footage from Por- is your movie going to be like porkies? Like, no, like literally every single frame, if you pause and you were like, I recognize that's from this movie, it would have some stylistic resonance with the project that I'm pitching, basically. Yeah, I mean, if you're pitching a movie and it's Forrest Gump meets Fast and the Furious or whatever, you, right, you're always comparing your project to a few movies. So with the Ripomatic, it's like a way deeper version of that, right? My movie feels like these different parts of these right. different movies. And, and I think there's something to be said, you know, I think I've referenced uh, Ryan Johnson did um, a Ripomatic for Looper, and like the first few images are all from Days of Heaven, which has nothing to do with Looper at all. But he kind of repurposed them in a way that was like clever and fun and totally matched, you know, the finished product, actually. So so it's it's not to say that you can't pick a movie that has footage that's appropriate for your ripomatic that has nothing to do with your film. You totally can. And that can be like its own art. But I kind of specifically because there's an element of pastiche and like a... You know, my movie is basically a straightforward genre movie with a hard twist. And so I kind of wanted to make it clear like, hey, these are the genre. These are the types of movies that are in this genre. This is what you should think the movie is before the twist. And then after the twist, find things that really contrast with it. Yeah. Do you think there are certain genres that work better for Ripomatics than others? You know, I don't know about genres, but I do find that it is interesting to see the challenge between like something that's really concept driven versus something that's really character driven. And mine is kind of a funny hybrid of the two because I really love character pieces, but I kind of add a layer of genre on top to kind of make them more stylized and more fun and more commercial, basically. And so the premise the, the the you know the way that this kind of the mechanics of this movie i think was relatively straightforward in terms of putting together something that that made sense to an audience with you know a little bit of voiceover or some title cards all that stuff but the character stuff it's a heck of a lot harder to put together as a rhythmatic you know yeah i think you run into this problem also with treatments even like a you know a deck or something which is you want to say like, okay, my main character is like Liam Neeson, right? <laughs> and then in the next shot, it's like he jumps off a building, but you only have a shot of like Bruce Willis jumping off that building. Like, is it confusing, you know, that Liam... And, and so in the Ripomatic, it's like doubly so. Like we're showing, we're saying this is our main protagonist. It's Dev Patel. But in this next shot, you know, our main protagonist is now, you know, a, a different actor. Like how, how much does that matter, do you think? <sighs> Yeah, I, I, you know, I think that that's part of the challenge of all of it. You know, I, I did a on a different project, I did a movie where we were just like, okay, we're gonna make Seth Rogen the he's a he's a close enough comp to this this character. You could imagine Seth Rogen is playing it, and he had enough movies with enough different types of action and and styles that we could take a little bit of observe and report and a little bit of neighbors and a little bit of long shot and put them all together and make something totally new. And he was consistent throughout. It's a lot harder when your characters are less archetypical. I don't think archetypical is a word. And I've been using it all the time. They're, they're not as Why common of an archetype. A... I think that's a misconjugation of. Yeah, ar- we can make archetypes. Archetypical is now. 
You hear that, Miriam? Miriam Webster, is that who you're yeah, yeah, shouting yeah, yeah. out? Yeah, yeah, long-time fan of the show. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but you, my point is, is like when you're trying to find characters that maybe are a mash of kind of different types of archetypes, it becomes a different, a bigger challenge. And, and specifically, to your point, Oren, when you're trying to depict specific set pieces that maybe are in the commercial or are in the movie that you're trying to represent... You know, it's one thing to find a great car chase. It's another to find a great car chase that Seth Rogen is in, you know. And so you just kind of have to hope that a little bit of like overlapping dialogue or like some voiceover or something will carry you through. But but to the ultimate point, it, because it had been so long since I had my fingers on the keyboard in a meaningful way, you know, like I would re-edit things here and there for my reel or whatever. But I hadn't been the main editor in a long time and it was so fun. So I guess my main thing I want people to think about is like, if you haven't done something in a while, don't be shy. Like it just took, it probably took me twice as long as a competent editor would be. But like the process was really nourishing, actually. How long did it take you? And how long is the Rhythmatic? <laughs> the Rhythmatic's about a minute and a half. And I think it took me a week of real honest to goodness work of putting in a couple hours a day. But I would say also that in this case, where it's about finding footage and repurposing it and maybe you're reversing things or you're you know doing some graphics on it even like you know throwing a little vfx on something here or there um being able to sleep on it was really helpful i would wake up every morning and be like oh right i should pull the trailer for this movie because it's got you know the shot i've been looking for so like allowing myself to have the the time to really figure it out in slow motion was really helpful as well and 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 was scared to do it do you know what i mean like i was nervous about it because it had been a long time it does bring some light to your unpaid endorsement from last week of the 4k video downloader let let me just say also 4k video downloader i have used nonstop. the biggest advocate for it but also i started going into sound design stuff and so you know i kept thinking ah should i like text orin or any of our editor friends who have like the wealth of awesome uh, sound effects there's a ton of sound effects on youtube that you can just rip for free and uh we'll get you a lot of the way there yeah no it is it is a weird resource for sound effects and usually the visuals that go with those sound effects are quite odd (laughs) very strange it is nice when at least they say like horn number one whoosh number two sometimes it's just like a, a static screen and you're just kind of scrubbing through and trying to find stuff but again, that's all part of the process. I think because I gave myself the time and permission to like do the slow version and just refine and refine and sand off the edges, it helped me and my process of figuring out the visual identity of the movie in the same way that I think a treatment does on a on a commercial. So, so yeah, I, go for it, everyone. Even if your editing skills are, you know, not as sharp as they once were, or they need to be leveled up a little bit, it was fun. So, yeah, I think it's something that like 10 years ago would have been really hard to do when it's hard to mix like footage from a million different sources. But nowadays with like Premiere, I think like all editing software, you can kind of just throw anything you want in there. Speaking of which, the, you know, I just did this job, this commercial campaign a couple of weeks ago. And in our final cut of one of the commercials, there is literally a shot that we shot on an iPhone last minute. The whole the rest of it was shot like on Alexa. But we were shooting a boomerang like for an animated GIF or something. And we ended up using that shot 
in the edit and like you can't even tell that it's shot on a different camera yeah, yeah no doubt especially if they're fast and stuff and i i think that's actually to to my point of like re-immersing yourself in the tools you know whether that's an iphone or whether that's ripping something off a of youtube or whether that's shooting with an alexa and a big old team getting your hands dirty i think unlocks creativity in a way that i uh missed yeah actually this is totally the wrong part of the show to mention this but it did just give me an idea that I don't want to lose, which is if you are doing a shoot, like how many times have you done a shoot where you have your camera on a dolly and everyone's in place and you're doing all these things and you think to yourself, hmm, like an overhead shot of this would be so cool. And you ask your DP, like, how long do you think it would take to rig an overhead shot? And they're like, well, uh, let me talk to the producer. Let me talk to the crypt department. Let me talk to the lighting. I mean, it'd probably take us, uh, I don't know, maybe 40 minutes. And you're like, okay, forget it, forget it. But what we did on my Disney shoot was an overhead shot with an iPhone. <laughs> like literally just someone stood on top of a table and did, got this shot real quick. You'd be surprised how when you totally change the angle like by that much, and usually overhead shots are quite flat, that you can get away with like a DSLR or an, or an iPhone even to cut in with your red or Alexa or black magic footage. So, um, I don't know, just that, just a, a random idea I just had of like do doing those like crazy camera position shots on a very easy to position devices. It's a good idea. It makes me think also about like, you know, you hear the story of like James Cameron has, is a card carrying member of every union. So he can just pick up a camera whenever he wants. There have been so I thought you were going to ask me how many times have you been like, hey, can you just pan over and get, like get this insert real, real quick, DP? And they're like, oh boy, blah 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 blah. Wouldn't it be nice to just like pull out your iPhone and grab the insert real fast? And like maybe you don't use it, or maybe you make time to get it perfect later. But like I bet DPs hate me for saying this, but oh, wouldn't it be nice to just steal yeah. that stuff real no, fast? I've done that so many times. It's almost never ever used, but sometimes it is. And it makes it makes me smile when it is because I like it when the DPs realize that not everything is so like precious all the time, you know, to or tell even, the story. You know, it, it is so precious sometimes, but sometimes, you know, you're, you're trying to just conserve everyone's energy and like, you know, that you probably won't need this shot, but just in case it's better, you like it the way it is and they're going to have problems with it. I don't know. Yeah, Complicated. I think stuff. the key is to just take a lot of selfies and a lot of photos and a lot of videos on set so your DP never knows if you're actually planning on trying to sneak one of these videos into the edit or not. You should just take the video and if they look over, then be like, what's up, YouTube? Check out this cool prop. Sorry, everyone. And then then turn the camera on yourself, basically. Yeah, exactly. Then you're good to go. Well, I, I want to, <laughs> anyway, sorry, I know I'm jumping around topics, but my last question about your Ripomatic that you made, your trailer, is... Now that it's done, like, I guess the two-part question is, one, who are you going to send it to? And two, will you send your deck along with it? Because, you know, the, the deck and the trailer, yeah. yeah, they reinforce each other, but do they, are they doing a lot of the same work? So to answer the second question first, yes, I'll send them at the same time. And because there's a very specific reason why it's helpful, because basically every executive that I can think of will like at their computer, they'll get the email or a manager, whomever, they'll get the email, they'll click on the link first, right? They'll watch the trade, the sizzle first. And then they'll be like, oh my God, Matt Enloe was a genius. We have to make this movie is the ideal result from that 
or or like more likely like oh yeah let's check this out we'll talk to him either way at a certain point if things go well they'll have to take that the materials that i have for them they'll have to send them to other people and perhaps that will be in person where it's inappropriate to watch a sizzle you know what i mean like sometimes it'll be like in a packet they'll slide to their boss or to someone else or whatever maybe nowadays people will be like ah they sent us a little video let's watch that and everyone will you know they'll put that on the apple tv and everyone will watch it or whatever maybe that'll happen i doubt it frankly but at a certain point it'll be really handy for them to be able to hand someone something static basically and so that is why i think i will send all of them and then to answer your first question of like what am i going to do with it now it's a couple things one i think it's nice to follow up with certain people who you know have been helping me out or have been tuned in on things or whatever it's like a nice way to be like hey i made this thing what you know what do you think and maybe that helps solidify the vision for them a little bit more certainly it reminds them of what i'm doing and then i'm moving forward maybe it gets them re-excited and re-engaged or whatever so it's handy on that front just kind of from a connections perspective it really has helped me solidify my vision a little bit more you know it's a it's a version of shooting you know it's like clarifying like oh this is what i would do this is what i would tweak i love this shot but here's what's wrong with it or here's what's right with it so it's just part of the process but the big thing that i think listeners will be uh helped knowing is that on the last feature the feature that we shot in the beginning of 2020 a lot of the materials that we used to get investment we had prepared because we know that there are a handful of things that are helpful for our investors to see, but we did not know how we were going to get to those investors or how we were going to pitch them or anything. We had a business plan. We had like, you know, like a video pitch, basically. We had a few of those things. We had a, a pitch deck and all of that stuff ended up being very helpful when we went to WeFunder, which is how we ultimately found all of our investors. But we had momentum going just in putting together the materials, even though we didn't know how we were necessarily going to use them in the future. And that mentality, I think, has really been helpful. It keeps you engaged, you know? Yeah. So basically, you're saying creating these pitch materials are helping you, regardless of what happens with them, they're helping you develop your project and fill it out more. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and, and that it, it makes you prepared in as many ways as I can think of for when someone is curious or interested or has follow-up questions. And, you know, the sizzle, it's funny because I had been saying, I'd been using in my initial first pitch, I would say something like, you know, it's a stupid version of this genre movie. It's a stupid version of the thing. It's a stupid version of It Follows. It's, a stu- you know, like... Uh, as like the little hook and what i've learned specifically with it follows is that that is such a iconic specific tonal movie that even though i'm saying things like stupid or goofy or judd apatow or matt enlow or whatever like signaling that up top people sink their teeth into it follows they sink their teeth into it and even though these movies are vastly different except for in certain mechanics it throws them off tonally and so they don't know what movie they're reading until too late in my mind i want people to know exactly what sort of movie they're watching from the beginning and even though i think the 
prose of the film, the way that I wrote it, I think does indicate that. If you walk into a movie with a different set of expectations in your head, that throws you off, basically. And so learning that, is, I think, is part of the process as well. Yeah, for sure. I've told this story many times when I, my first feature. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Sure. It was called the Hammer, but originally it was called Hamill because it's about this guy Matt Hamill. And I'd been went to a few screenings where people were quite disappointed that the movie was not either about Dorothy Hamill, the famous ice skater, or Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker. Sure. Uh, and yeah, they're like, yeah, I guess the movie's good. I just like was not expecting was that. Just, you know, I and, thought I thought we would be yeah <laughs> shooting Star Wars. You know, like a behind the scenes of Star Wars would be really cool. Yeah. You should make that movie, Oren. I should. I should only make movies called Hamill, and I'll be very different from each other. We, it would be the Hamill cycle, right? It would just be... That would be incredible, actually. Yeah. I actually know an actor named Brian Hamill. I wonder if he has something interesting going on in his life right yeah. now. I can yeah, yeah, Document. Yeah, hit him up. Hit him up. Um, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, w- I once had a dream that maybe I would just, like, spend two days on a Ripomatic, like, every, you know, once a week for a different movie idea I had and just, like, generate a bunch of these or... Two days on like a real cool visual deck, which is about how long it takes me to make one. And I was like, then I could just have like 10 projects ready to go. You know, here's a deck. Here's this. No script really, but kind of visuals and a, a, an idea and a genre. You know, some of these kind of tent poles that help define the project. And then I could be kind of, you know, I don't know. It, it was just an idea. I've never acted upon it, but um, it these types of materials are easy to make. Yeah. Well, I think it's like, what is the first step for any single person, right? Like 
a musician friend of mine who was super prolific he once told me like the the trick to being productive is just to think of what is the easiest baby step you can take what's that that what's what don't worry about the the you know crossing the finish line what is the next step and just take that and if you just continue to figure out what that is and so i i think that Oren, you know you are such a visual person that i think you would really your ideation project would would get supercharged if you were like working on rhythmatics and decks you would be like you'd figure out what the script is that it would turn into a scriptment it would turn into a screenplay you know what i mean before you know it you'd be like oh i've got a movie yeah yeah just kind of like have like some like a very loose outline of a story and then just start finding inspiration yeah yeah i think those, those seeds are different for everyone and i think that it's really tricky because I think we all have an image of what a screenwriter is. You know, I talk about this on the show, but it's been a minute. For a long time, I thought that like being a good writer meant being a night owl, meant like staying up late and, you know, like just that it's, it, you know, you look at the full moon and you're listening to music and drinking or smoking or whatever. Like that was like the idea of like what I thought a good writer was. And it took me a long time to realize that that's exactly the opposite of what I do to be productive and creative. Like, I like to wake up in the morning. I like to have a coffee. I like to watch the sunrise and write. But it's going to be different for every person, right? But like, I think we get these ideas, media or our own machinations or whatever. Something puts an idea in your head. And if you don't match that ideal of what being a creative person is, that can create a barrier for you. That's why representation is important, right? Like, so, but but breaking free of all of that, I think, is a, a big important step in terms of just freeing yourself up to be as creative as you can be. Sure. So, yeah, and I'll add it to my to do list of things I will probably never do, but really, <laughs> dude, if if you if you put together a treatment for an for a movie that like you've just had a like a little inkling on, just like put together a deck of just style pieces. I guarantee you would get excited about a movie and write it. Yeah. I mean, or at least have something to show someone, you know, this is kind of a topic I want to talk about later, but just that idea of how to generate stuff to show people, um, especially nowadays is hard. But before we talk about that, I, I kind of wanted to talk about, I forgot about the thing we should talk about before we talk about the thing you want to talk about. Patreon.com slash JustShootAPod is the place where you can throw us a couple bucks, maybe get yourself a hat or some stickers, um, and certainly show your support for the show and uh, put money in our dear editor Sarah's pocket because she is the engine that keeps the show going in a true and genuine way. And she has um, really we big would, pockets. Really she has big. huge pockets. Yeah, yeah. They're, and they're woefully empty, but you can help <laughs> us out, relatively speaking. Throw us a couple bucks. Help keep the show going, basically, because if we didn't have help from Sarah and Derek and all of the other people who are the, the hidden support system of this show, we genuinely wouldn't be able to make it. So, you know, if you get something out of the show, throw us a buck or two or ten and then you get a hat. Yeah, just shoot it hat. All the rage. Though I saw you commenting on Chloe Zhao's hat on Instagram as if we don't have our own hats. Multiple people, including Christopher Weil longtime patron and hat owner was like how come this isn't photoshopped into a just shoot it hat yeah yeah now our, our own listeners are making fun of us for being so lazy 
Hey folks, we're interrupting this incredible episode of the podcast to tell you about a new sponsor that we're working with, Front Row Insurance Brokers. One of the challenges of being a filmmaker is that there's a lot of risks that we take and we really just want to focus on making good stuff. So what if there was a company that could take those risks, manage them for us while we are being artists? That's right. Front Row Insurance Brokers arranges film production insurance to cover the risks associated with your production. They cover features, TV shows, documentaries, commercials, music videos, webisodes, basically anything you can watch on big media or phone-sized screens. Yeah, Front Row will help you focus on your artistic vision by transferring all the risks to them and minimizing your production hazards. And they cover any budget from $2,000 all the way up to $200 million. There's nothing that's too small or too big. If you are shooting in Canada, use coupon code JUSTSHOOTIT50OFF for 50 bucks off your film production insurance. That's promo code JUSTSHOOTIT50OFF to save 50 bucks. And if you're shooting in the U.S., that same code can be redeemed offline by mentioning it to a broker, by email, or over the phone. It's like a cool password if you're in the U.S. That's just shoot it 50 off. Check him out. Let us know how it goes. Okay, so now on to the first topic. What kind of experience we get, non-directing experience we get, affects our ability to get directing jobs? I bring this up because last night, uh, Nomadland won the Oscar for Best Picture, and I did the visual effects on that movie. Not that it's a visual effects heavy movie by any stretch, but I, I still worked on it. Um, it was nominated for best editing, which you, you could argue has some visual effects aspects to it and also best cinematography. And, um, you know, I've, I've worked on some other big movies. I'm working on a Walking Phoenix movie right now. And uh, I EP'd a show that was on the CW last year. And you, you know, worked at Comedy Central, were involved in Key and Peel and all these big things. Do any of these things have any bearing on us getting jobs as directors? Yes or no and why? Uh, yes. Yes, certainly, though not directly and sometimes not in the ways that we like, right? So I, I think that development and VFX are actually two really good examples, but I think it's true if you're a cinematographer, an editor, or whatever. Certainly, there will come times when you will be pitching on things where you can say with confidence, oh, this is a very VFX heavy project of, of some sort, right? And certainly you've gotten a lot of jobs this way. I have a strong background in VFX. I know how to, and I'm a very good director. And so combining those two skills will be perfect for your project, right? That that happens all the time. And I feel like it's probably a pretty obvious thing for people, but it is uh, funny how specialized you will be in certain aspects and how that will kind of come up basically and that you can draw upon a background uh, that's pretty diverse basically and that that will always kind of help your directing in ways that will be surprising to you in the same way that like being a parent for you oftentimes is helpful on pitches you know yeah but i think i guess to me that being a parent is very different because it's like saying i can connect with you know this idea of parenthood or but also it implies that you know how to speak with children for instance right right i have experience with children so i think there's like a difference between i guess my my question is asking about the nuance of the difference between me having done visual effects on a bunch of indie films or commercials or whatever and visual effects on an oscar-winning movie likewise you working on development of your web series and you know a bunch of other projects and things for new form whatever versus you having you know, had kind of some being at the Emmys with a project you did for Key and Peele, you know? Yeah. I, I wonder if maybe we're really talking about 
the difference between hard skills and soft skills with VFX versus development, actually. Right? Like hard skills being things like knowing how to do a task or complete something with, you know, a degree of uh, efficiency or or sufficiency maybe, right? So like does your VF, you, VFX is a hard skill, right? Like you know how to do 3D modeling, you know how to do rigging or whatever it is, right? And if you have done that on something that has been, that wins an Oscar, right? Then it's bona fide, right? So is it better to have done VFX on an Oscar winning movie than a great VFX on a web series? Yes, the Oscar winner is going to be more valuable in terms of your pedigree, in terms of saying, you know, your authority. Hey, I'm Oren. I'm a great director. I know VFX. How can you tell? Well, I won an Oscar for how good my VFX are. Or I, I did VFX on, a, on the best picture winner for Oscars, right? So that is better. Even if the work you did on that web series is incredible, right? So that, that's frustrating for people, certainly, but like is a hard fact, right? Like, have you ever pitched yourself to get a directing job by saying like, yeah, I come from Comedy Central and I know comedy in and out, inside and out. And I've been on all these comedy sets as not a director, you know, from the other side, like I, that I understand this world and I have these special skills, or is it something that is more of like you're on set and someone's like, oh, but I saw you work at Comedy Central. That's cool. Like more of like a, that's cool once you got the job type of thing. Like, is there a way for us to leverage any of these experiences or is that unimpressive, you know? Like we had JJ Ab- an assistant at JJ Abrams company, Bad Robot, on the podcast, and she made a feature, but she made it outside of Bad Robot, right? Uh, yeah. So, so Morgan Dameron, who made the film uh, Different Flowers, you know, I think that she's a good example of a person who has a, a lot of incredible soft skills, right? So those are things like people skills or uh, scheduling, getting back to people on email, basically understanding how the world of Hollywood and development works, right? So yeah, but she also um, has credits on Star Trek Beyond, Ten Cloverfield Lane, Star Wars, Mission Impossible, <laughs> Westworld. That yeah, must so I, I think mean it's, it's three right? categories. I, I think it, yeah, absolutely. But uh, but your your question of like how do our backgrounds affect the way that we get work? I think, like I said, it's three categories: it's hard skills. Uh, soft skills and then like bona fides pedigree like like resume basically right so is it cool that you have a resume that has star trek star wars all the bad robot movies on it yeah hell yeah it is does it get you you know a rom-com it doesn't hurt but i think those soft skills the ability to pitch in the room the ability to know when to follow up the ability to like you know, make good chit chat uh, as you're walking from the lobby to the uh, to the conference room, and or even just to, to take a meeting. Well, those things that are you learn as an assistant or in development, all of that stuff, uh, I think is the other part. And does that directly help you? Certainly, it's helped me win jobs, but it's not those things aren't on my resume per se as a thing that's helpful. Right. So I think it's like those three buckets, basically. So in other words, there's not much I can do with the momentum of these projects I worked on since I was not the director. on. I think that it builds your resume. I think that it it doesn't get you in the door. But when you are speaking to, for instance, VFX, hopefully this is kind of part of what like agents and managers do. It's like they get to brag for you, you know, so it's, it's nice for them to be like, oh, man. 
Orin is so great. He did all the VFX on Nomadland. Obviously, big fucking deal. Just won the uh, won the Oscar. So, uh, you know, he's an expert there. He's done this, this, this. He's the funniest dude I know. You should check out his podcast. Take it away, Orin. That's kind of a lot of, like, in a meeting, what a, a you know, a team member, quote unquote, does, basically. Is, like, do the the gauche embarrassing bragging for you, right? We are both in the circumstance where, like, that's a little bit different for us right now. And so... You know, you kind of have to figure out other ways to make sure that people know the things you want them to know about yourself. And sometimes it's as simple as like, okay, before we jump into things, I'll just give you guys a little bit of my background. I did these things. It's not to brag. It's just to say like, hey, I know what I'm doing. Right. You know, I did. I pitched on this one commercial job that I ended up getting and the art director was like a huge, huge fan of Mike Mills and had brought up 20th century women for some reason. And I had worked on that movie and I mentioned it and I felt like it gave me like a, a few small bonus points. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. But I it, think you were cooler for doing that. Yeah. But it was like, I, it was like, I had an opportunity to mention it. I didn't just like bring it up, but I thought, you know, we had Danny Madden on the show who had his movie Beast Beast at Sundance. And he, I, I didn't realize this before he was on the show, but you know, he had worked on Jim Cummings movie on um, Thunder Road. And he was really like, you could see how as a director, he would be better because he has all this experience on these other Sundance films, you know, same with Craig Zobel, who worked on a bunch of David Gordon Green movies. But then we've had people like Ross Novion, who was the first AD on like The Office, Always Sunday in Philadelphia, all the best shows ever. And like, we didn't quite see how being the first AD on these huge hit comedies led to himself directing those same huge hit comedies. So I don't know. It's it's interesting and something I think about a lot. But at the end of the day, kind of what I just keep learning over and over for many, many years is that if you want people to hire you as a director, you need to show them the stuff you have directed. <laughs> and and nothing else really is, is a good substitute for that. But saying that, uh, I did watch Mortal Kombat. I enjoyed it. It's, you know, it's definitely a movie that knows what it is. But when it was done, I looked up the director. His name is Simon McQuoid, M-C-Q-U-O-I-D, McQuoid. Um, and he has literally two directing credits on his IMDb. And one of them is for a short and the other one is Mortal Kombat. <laughs> so that's kind of why I even brought up this topic of experience, because like, how can somebody get this giant action movie? And I, I'm assuming the budget's pretty good. There aren't really yeah. super famous people in it, but... But it's a big movie. Yeah, it's big certainly millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think he's Australian and a lot of the actors are famous in Australia. And... Uh, he I, I was just kind of digging into him and he is this commercial director and he's directed a lot of big budget, really amazing commercials. He's done a bunch like a big commercial for PlayStation 5, he's done a bunch of spots for Call of Duty. And oddly enough, he told his agent that whatever his first movie is, he does not want it to be about video games because he wants to prove that he can do something other than that. <laughs> and then he got the script for Mortal Kombat and he was like, yeah, this is pretty fun. OK, I'll yeah, do it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Um, yeah, that's wild. But That's how wild. does how did he get this feature? I guess he just made these commercials that are cinematic enough and amazing enough. And that's something I, I've been trying to figure out my next move because I do have this issue where I just kind of go from job to job. Like, here's an opportunity to direct this, an opportunity. And I'm, you know, trying to make a living as a director. And so regardless of my 
passion to go to Carmel and sit on the beach for three weeks and write a screenplay, I will hear that there's an opportunity to direct something, usually a commercial, and I will jump at it and try to pitch on it and work a lot on the pitch and work a lot on the treatment and try to get the job. And if I'm not doing that, then I'm trying to spend time with my family or, you know, fix all the things that are broken in my house. And so on the podcast for years, I've been talking about like wanting to make a short. And then every year you tell me I just need to go out and make a short and then you go make two shorts and I make none. But my wife said, you know, why don't you do like a spec commercial? Because you're like so in that commercial mind space right now, you know, like the 30 second to one minute uh, length type of thing and make it the exact type of thing that you would want to shoot. And it doesn't, it can be cinematic or it can be a short story or it can be uh, just people talking to the camera, telling the camera to, that you should buy Swiffers. I was thinking a lot about that when I was reading about this guy, Simon McQuaid. McQuaid, McQuaid. <laughs> I thought, yeah, that that is something I should do. Do like a spec spot that is narrative and cinematic and, you know, shoot on anamorphics and tell a good story with some cool visual effects and some cool casting and some great music that I don't need to pay for. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll it, tell you what, actually not, not to derail us, but the using the sizzle as an example, not worrying about rights, like music rights, any licensing of any sort uh, is so freeing. Yeah. Sometimes it's a little too freeing, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's nice to have like a, a list of tracks that you can afford or, or are from the library that the company has a license to or whatever. Sometimes it's nice to be a little limited. But, you know, yeah, to, to your point, like being able to do whatever you want can be a, a little paralyzing. But once you're in the groove, it's like, oh, thinking of the song that you want, like in it being a Beatles song or a Rolling Stone song or a Jay-Z song or whatever, it's, it's so awesome to be like, yeah, I can just use this song. Yeah. So I don't know. So I do think, you know, in my impending new fatherhood, fatherhood to two people like the I've kind of done taking a little less work and have a little more free time and trying to figure out exactly what to do with that time. And I think Kara, my wife, is right that I should kind of find the perfect spec. So it's like, you know, a one minute short film that covers the things I want that hopefully can help me on my commercial reel. And also, an, in my narrative work, kind of a, a one for, a yeah. two for, I don't know. Yeah, what, one that does uh, the job two, of two. Two birds, one stone, maybe. Yeah, I, I think that's a great plan. I, you know, a thing that we've talked about off the mic a lot, and that speaking of skills that I think you kind of learn in other parts of the of Hollywood that we don't talk about on the show much is like developing out a slate and like how more big time directors develop you know like at a certain point you get a deal right where you're in a bungalow somewhere on a lot or maybe even not um, and you go into work every day and it's you and an assistant and maybe a couple other people whose job it is to read scripts and figure out what what you're gonna make next you know and maybe you're the producer on it maybe you're the director on it and you know we talk about figuring out what that version is for ourselves in the interim because commercial directors are are much less able to self-generate because like you 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 know outside of specking it's not like you can just like write your own commercial and then go pick pitch it to geico or something Mm -hmm. though i did see a commercial last night during the oscars that i 
cannot imagine any way of making it without having it be like a filmmaker making it and then pitching it to Google. Did you see the commercial for the kid that's not really into schoolwork over Zoom and then he watches my octopus teacher and then he becomes like obsessed with octopuses and then he goes to like the Aquarium of the Pacific and they're doing all this research and it's all done. And I'm like, this must have just been shot by some parent who is like observing this with their kid and just shooting it all probably on iPhone, even though it was a commercial for Android. And then using all that footage, putting it together and pitching it to Google. Uh, maybe. It could be like a copywriter turned director. That could be. Yeah. Maybe. Well, yeah. So I think you make some good good points. So I'm, I, I think that's what I'm going to work on. And that I think is part of like this bigger topic, which would be the final topic I wanted to talk to you about, which is the world reopening. You know, I think... It's almost like, you know, we have like our New Year's shows and our New Year's resolutions and the, and the things that we want to work on. And I believe our last New Year's show, we were like, well, we don't quite know what's going to happen. But we are, you know, vaccinated. We are in a city I saw on Deadline that TV production is back to pre-pandemic levels right now in L.A. Features and commercials are not yet there, but I think they are in outside of L.A. Have you been getting, you, you've been pitching on things and getting boards and... And all of that, like things are back for you commercially, even if you're like, you're still, it, you're in the mix on things now in a way that you hadn't been a few months back. Yeah. And I definitely more things, more LA based things. Like I think I was in the mix for a lot of things outside of LA where people just were not as COVID conscious. Now I think I'm hearing about a lot more projects that shoot in LA. I'm in this weird situation because of my availability and not knowing when our baby is coming and me wanting to definitely not wanting to leave LA anytime soon, but it has made me think like, so I, one part of my process and my routine is my daughter, I take her to school in the morning. I drop her off at 9am and then I go to this Starbucks reserve in Los Feliz. The long list time listeners of the show will know that that's like my favorite place. Is it open now? Are you still going to the well, Starbucks so no? for years, I would just, ever since it opened, I would go and I sit there and use their Wi-Fi and drink their coffee. That gets, you get free refills if you're a Starbucks gold member. And I would have a to-do list. And I'd go through my to-do list. Okay, write some ideas for this. Come up with this. Respond to this email. Whatever. Change insurance companies. Whatever it was. And I would get things done. You know? And when everything fell apart and I was with my family all day and it was like, you know, whatever. Making, cooking pizza or whatever we all learned to do. I stopped that, and now, as of last week, the Starbucks Reserves has three tables inside, and it's only relevant that they're inside because they're by power outlet, so you can sit there for a couple hours. And you have to wear a mask if you're not eating or drinking, but you can sit there, and I actually went, and I sat there, and I ran into someone, but he recognized me from Instagram. Now, we are, we're kind of like, we have the opportunity to restart our routines or remake our routines or refigure out what our routines are. Right. And, we, I, and we've had all this time to think about what we missed yeah. and what we want out of life. And, and yeah. yeah. And there are a yeah. few big changes that I see, like the obvious ones, at least in, in my life personally, that are different n- about now, post-COVID, freelance director life to pre-COVID director life. And so I guess I wanted to bring them up and see if you thought they're here to stay and just get your opinion on how they will affect things moving forward so so the first one is 
working remotely, right? Uh, Zoom pitches, Zoom casting. I don't think Zoom directing is going to happen that much. But what do you think about the other things that, and like this whole working from home thing? Are you into it or are you not? Yeah, into it? I mean, I, I think that that we're both we've been working from home this whole, like for a decade. In, in most ways, you know, like, you know, sometimes we'll go into offices and stuff like that. But like you're working from Starbucks is effectively working from home, right? You're not going into an office where everyone is congregated. And then once a job gets up and going, then maybe you go to the production office and they're like, Oren, what are you doing here? Stop breathing down our necks. We need a little bit of space, which is what they would do to me, um, even though I like to be there sometimes. So I yeah, think I mean, that- I guess the, the caveat to that is that I do think me working at Starbucks is different than me working at home, aside from the distractions of home i also run into a bunch of people there all the time and i get i hear people talking and i get inspired and i do people watching and i am driving and i'm interacting with the world even if i'm by myself right yeah. but but that's about your preference not about the way the industry works well the industry i think works in people meet for coffee like if i ever met people for coffee i would tell them to come meet me there um and then you know, all the things like color grading, right? Edit, sitting on an edit, edit session, audio mix. Um, auditions are the biggest one where like we've never done them remotely until COVID. We, we were, yeah, we weren't going into an office every day. But as soon as we got a job, we were trying to meet up with the DP. Let's have lunch. Right. Let's talk right. about shots. Let's do a so, little So my rule of thumb is that I think that if it's better remotely, then it will stay remote. And if it's inferior then we'll be back to it. The big one I'm worried about, frankly, is auditions because I, I really, I have very mixed feelings about it. I, in a, we're both married to actors. We've helped our wives audition for tons of stuff over the last year. And they're lucky in that they have filmmaker husbands. And so we can kind of help with a lot of different things that I think are frankly unreasonable and unfair to ask of an actor. Like it's just good luck that like you know how to light really well or whatever. And so you can put your best foot forward for an actor. And I hate the idea of an actor losing a job because they don't have someone in their household who can set up a really professional looking setup. That that to me is just such a disservice to everyone. And so I am excited to get back to in-person casting for that reason but also because i really think that the interpersonal part is a big part as well like i always i have a few specific techniques of like how to chit chat with people in a way that's structured that helps me understand where they're coming from process wise and also almost most importantly getting a good sense of their personality because i need to know if i'm going to like working with them or or not as quickly as possible because that is a thing that's going to be tricky and i like most actors so it's it's a pretty low barrier but like sometimes you do get a vibe where you're like oh this person is too intense and i like to keep things loosey-goosey or like oh they don't take things seriously and i'm a pretty intense director whatever it is that vibe is lost in casting so casting is the thing that i am the most worried about because it is convenient for casting offices i think it cuts down on overhead they get to see more people it's quote unquote easier for directors in a lot of ways and i think that generals it'll be 50 50 I think pitches will be in person. Generals, you mean meetings between directors and companies? Yeah, exactly. Like just like the get to know you sort of meetings. I think, look, you know, I know what it's like to be waiting for someone on a Friday afternoon when all you kind of want to do is get out of town and you're on the west side and some poor stand up comic is driving from 
the east side and they're going to spend 45 minutes and then we're going to talk for 20 and they're going to drink a water and then they're going to drive home and they're going to have taken a half day off work to do it that sucks and so uh and being on the flip side of that i think is rough as well so like a lot of conference calls will become zooms and a lot of um generals will become zooms but i think a lot of the 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 big the high stake stuff i think will be still be um in person basically okay well we'll see i i'm really hoping you know you're right we've always kind of been working from home and it's something that i actually did not like pre-covid like i kind of yearned for the office environment and looking over someone's shoulder and like showing sharing tips and tricks and going out to lunch with people that are working on the same project as you so that the idea generation to me is just much better and i i mean you know i hate 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 giving edit notes over email because i just never feel like they are executed properly and i feel like in post you need to play with the footage and we've just totally lost that ability completely so i hope that changes and i'm going to make an active push to actually see people more and interact with people more and sit next to people more i think that that's just something in my mind right now we'll see if that changes yeah i I think the question really you're asking maybe is like will there be a centralized place where people are all working together or are you going to have to go out of your way to schedule meetings in public spaces is there a production office where you can be in the bullpen and bounce from different departments we're all there working out of it so that you can kind of be in one place and like know what the editor is doing on the animatic while you're working with the cinematographer and they're coming in to look at references while the production designer is there and you can hop away to like check in with the wardrobe person or whatever like that is the ideal will production companies be doing that i i think eventually i think eventually will like a ppm a pre-production meeting will that be on zoom like will the client fly in a day early still uh, to do it in person or will it all be remote we'll see but I, I i think also honestly you know people will see that the work gets better when it's in person and also that's a that's a perk for a lot of people yeah you like know i left engineering for filmmaking because i wanted to interact with more people and less computers <laughs> so that's my take on it so the other thing i have two other things on my list which is one is kind of there's been a lot of social movement since covid started you know between blm and george floyd and i feel like obviously me too happened before covid but like i just feel like because the entire world is kind of interacting with each other on social media these various movements that had gotten a lot of lip service pre-covid were getting real service you know in terms of diversifying casts and crews and projects and i am eager to see how that plays out i guess in this post-covid world now that production is starting back up like is it something that we're going to like i i think on our mind it will always be and it's been for a long time in, in terms of casting like making sure we're seeing diversified voices but i wonder like how, how that's going to play out now that production now that it's not just people on instagram you know talking about things but sure. actually um, putting things in motion yeah yeah i mean i think it's funny I think generationally we are part of a group of filmmakers that are already just more diverse. Do you know what I mean? I think that our crews were like, I I can't tell you how many times people be like, we really need to make sure that, you know, you have a female DP or like make sure your crew's diverse or whatever that kind of mandate was. And it was always like, well, yeah, this was my list anyway. You know what I mean? Um, And so I think in that sense, I think it's really good that people are being more thoughtful about it and like 
certainly there were things that like you need one needs to i need to re-examine everyone needs to re-examine in terms of like not just taking that for granted or what your process for crewing up is you know is always worth re-examining from a from a bidding perspective perspective and from a director's perspective you know i think that a lot of people have been lazy about saying well oh you didn't get the job because of a diversity mandate to people like us and um that's always been super annoying to me because that that's only so true you know what i mean it could be just like oh you're just not a very good manager or something like that you know because there are certainly a lot of all types of people are working and it's maybe a little bit more competitive and of course you know you can't fault someone for being introspective about things but for the most part, I think that I'm hoping that basically there's just more work and more voices for everyone. Yeah. Basically. I agree. I, Sarah Silverman did this, had some video on Instagram or someplace about how white men are now kind of realizing that they need to be undeniable in the same way that like all non people that people that aren't white men like have had to be forever. And she's like, it's, you know, she's like, just, just be undeniable and people will hire you. Um, yeah, I, do. I, I guess I, I always, it drives me nuts when people are like, I had no idea that the film, I'm so annoyed when people are complaining about how it's competitive to be a filmmaker. Like, what did you think, stupid? And so I do, like I said, I take issue when sometimes people tell you that the reason that you didn't get hired is because of diversity and that that's not true. That's just that like now people are saying like, oh, okay, well, we want to have uh, voices that we haven't seen before. And you've seen me a bunch of times. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that, so it's a really counterproductive thing, I think, for people to, to cite that as the reason, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, we, you and I both hear it all the time. Yeah. I've you know? seen that a lot. And I, but I saw that way before this too, which is like, hey, we want to try someone new this time, you know? And you're like, I did it. Such a great job. Like, did you know I did the VFX on No Man Land? Um, that's, uh, that's when they slam the phone on me. Yeah. I guess Steven Spielberg is still getting hired is what I'm saying, you know. Yeah. But I, I, I would say, hired. yeah, they are certifiably undeniable. Old white men. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Exactly. Exactly. So, like, you know, I guess is it hard? Is it a hard pill to swallow that, like, you and I are up against Quentin Tarantino, Steven Spielberg, Ron Howard, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, that's rough, but like that is also that has always been the case. Yeah, it's a it's a tough industry, but it is it is interesting. I'm I'm really interested to see how creative changes and how casting, especially in commercials, which always seem to be lagging on the kind of progressive front of things, how they react. And I've already seen like even just like the lottery stuff I did, like how from my first job to my last job, like the effort to just be more representative you know, across the board as finally seems to be, to be important, not just in LA and New York. Well, so the, the last thing, and that's kind of related to the social media thing is during COVID, you know, a lot of people know I've like got really into Blender and 3D graphics. And we've talked about all the different things and artists that we're following on Twitter and whatever on social media. And I think part of this new thing. I'd never really spent so much time looking at other people's artwork as I did over the last year. And a lot of it is really intimidating because you see some people, there's this guy, he's a blender artist. His name is Willie. 
he is 14 years old. He's in Norway and his stuff is so He's mind like blowing. Yeah. yeah. That it's like, yeah. how could I ever compete with this guy? He's so good. There, there is a generation specifically in 3D where they kind of came of age, and 14 I would actually describe as like underage for sure, but like where you come of age where like the tools uh, of like all the resources out there of like, you know, how you can generate, you know, organic material or models or you can just steal rig or like steal textures, all that stuff. It used to be that you had to make a lot of that stuff from scratch. And now there's just this wealth of library content that can help you slap together something crazy fast in a way that from a generation that's kind of used to needing to start from scratch, we our brains just don't th- process in the same way like they're thinking through the catalog of assets that they have and how do you put something together and it it looks like magic it looks like magic yeah so you know i I think that's like the my other thing that i'm tackling post-covid that's different than pre-covid is needing to just forget all this these amazing artists you've seen and not compare yourself with them you know well yeah the 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 nature of comparing yourself to people is really really tricky because you know i think of the time at college humor that i had you know it was a lot of really awesome filmmakers were there and we were all making things at the same time and effectively with the same resources and i really look back on that time with a lot of fondness because we were all working and so it was easy to enjoy the i wouldn't i hesitate to even say competition of it all but just to watch how each of us elaborates on how, you know the material that we're given basically and it was a, like a really cool way to just and the same thing with funny or die or whatever it's kind of you all have the same stuff it's like you got a camera you got a, maybe a 500 bucks and like a cast of incredible improvisers what do you do with that you know and sometimes you get a script that's really strong and sometimes it needs a you know a little bit work but it was all the same and so i just try to think of the space in that way of like oh you're inspired by the people who have incredible blender skills like what can i do what 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 is oren kaplan about what willie does is is kind of the best way to look at it but i think that that come that headspace is hard to be in when things feel less stable you know what i mean like when you're worried about making your mortgage or you're worried about where your next job is going to come from it's a lot harder to be unless you can channel anxiety and fear and depression into creativity but that's another problem. Then you have to be depressed in order to create. So it's a lose-lose. Yeah. I was actually thinking about maybe taking a little hiatus from social media. So I am less in awe of like all these artists that I watch and just more focused on my own thoughts. Because you see a lot of the greats, a lot of the great artists, they don't, they use references, you know, the old movies or whatever, but they're not like just constantly glued to media right now. Look, I mean, I've I've had my bouts of cutting out social media for a number of reasons. I do think it, for the most part, it makes your life worse as like a flat fact. You know, it's nice to like see your old friends from high school's kids every once in a while, but like that's not really what social media is giving us at this point, you know? So I'm I'm with you on that front. But I think, you know, comparing yourself to other people is, you know, it's it's something that isn't especially worthwhile unless it kind of, fuels you in some way you know yeah i mean there's that thin line between inspiration and like self-doubt or whatever jealousy yeah 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 exactly but yeah cool well we should probably wrap things up but matt would you mind joining me for uh 
An unpaid endorsement? Happily. Unpaid endorsements. Yeah, I mean, I guess I might as well uh, endorse this video from Willie Landgren, is his name. Uh, it's called My Two-Year Blender Progression. It's this video that this kid made, and it is eight minutes long. It's on YouTube. We'll put a link to it. But you basically see him starting, you know, making the donut, to, the famous donut tutorial. And by the end of the video, but well, by 30 seconds in, he's made this Spider-Man animation that pretty much looks like it could be from a Marvel movie. <laughs> and by the end, it's like, um, you know, like a crazy, like, car it looks like a car commercial you would see on tv and this guy is just doing it all by himself at home he has these video he does these live streams called blender with willie where just for like four hours he'll just work on a project and talk to people and get feedback on it and learn new things and like what's the short what's the shortcut for this thing and it's actually kind of replicates that experience that i was talking about of being in a room with someone and working together on things so that's what I got. How about you? Yeah, dude. Uh, well, mine is certainly not craft oriented at all. It's The Circle Season 2 is on uh, Netflix. I was hoping you wouldn't bring that up. <laughs> oh, my God. Dude, this season is legit so good. It is like so good. Significantly better than last season or as good as last season? Yeah. Yeah, better than last season. So last season... So for people who don't know what The Circle is, even though it was the number one show on Netflix this, this week, um, The Circle is like a, a show... If you think about like Survivor or Big Brother, any of those kind of like competition reality shows, but the catch being that no one sees each other in person, they are strictly stuck in their rooms in an apartment uh, building and they just are messaging each other via a social network called the quote unquote the circle where they're like voice chatting, they're voice texting to people basically. So they're just dictating, you know, circle, send or a message. Hey bro, what's up? I'm so glad that we have our alliance. Hashtag this connection is real. Send. <laughs> right. And then um, like and the, the pictures they the use. Show. You can, yeah, you some, don't know some, if their people are real or not. Correct. I mean, yeah, they're real, but you don't know if they look like what they say or anything. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Some people are playing, some people are catfishing. Some people are playing this themselves. And the first season, you know, was relatively straightforward. There were alliances and things like that, but the gameplay was relatively straightforward. This season, the producers have thrown a handful of different curveballs, like different game mechanics, effectively, that really have made it uh, especially juicy and delicious. There's much more drama. There's like, you know, uh, omniscient, like hidden characters. There's like some weird twists that uh, that have made it genuinely really fun and, and, and exceptionally stupid. Just like the dumbest, lowest common denominator entertainment, but in the way in a way that is scientifically calculated to be as pleasurable as possible <laughs> i'm sure well i will make sure to probably not watch that even though i did watch the first season but i feel like i get it and i feel like i should spend my time pretending to work on my passion projects yeah it, it that is true it is it is the perfect um antidote for using your brain basically we, we at, for context the reason that we loved the first season so much it was like we were in production on our movie and we were literally like a lot of times we were our production office and set oftentimes was our own apartment so we were just so exhausted that you you know you needed to unwind you were spun up from like you know shooting a movie in your home for 14 hours straight that like the, the our cool down needed to be something 
relaxing and and brainless and entertaining i would say you don't need to watch the first season to enjoy the second season and the second season is better than the first so the circle everyone great well thanks matt thanks for chatting thanks for uh chiming in on my existential life issues as usual sure that's what this this podcast is for right back at you i feel like you were lobbing all the questions but i feel like you know we're we're both um on that roller coaster you know i think you caught me on a day where i'm feeling better like I, I got hit up for a job. I'm like out and about a little bit more. Yeah. Normally yeah. I think it's the other way you around. see the Oscar at the end of the rainbow. Well, thank you for joining us. If you have any comments or questions or thoughts about anything we've talked about, we would love to hear from you. We love emails. I think it's our favorite thing. You can email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. You can leave us an iTunes review. You can find us. You know us what people haven't done in so long? A voicemail? Left us a voicemail. One, two, six, two, shoot one. Leave us a voicemail. That'd be, or you could send us a voice memo uh, at our email address at justshootapod at gmail.com. Yeah, and you can find us across all social media. We're at Just Shoot a Pod. We're giving away a ton of awesome Black Magic stuff on Instagram. Find us there uh, if you want some free stuff from Black Magic. And you can find me on Instagram at OKaplan. I'm on Twitter as at SmiteyPileg. You can find me at Mr. Matt Enlow across all social media, including Letterboxd. I've had some people hit me up on letterbox which is super fun this episode is edited by sarah weirda our social media maven is Derek aiello additional consulting producing done by Hallie kornfeld and the music you're listening to is by the free music archive and the artist jazar cool thanks everyone thanks everyone bye bye planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.